Hi, Scott and John here. Yeah, folks, the world is fast approaching the end game, and we are trying to expose the upcoming deception before time runs out. We want to make this a full-time goal, and we need your support to fight the satanic global elite. So here's how you can help. Subscribe to the new Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast to listen to every episode ad-free. Plus, get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to a new community forum. Sure. So just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com or you can click the uh, link in the show notes to get started today. Thanks again. Welcome to Bible Mysteries. You're listening to Episode 79, The Dispensation of Grace, Part 2. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Zena. Hello and welcome back to Bible Mysteries Podcast, the show that tells you the secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. I'm Brother Scott Mitchell and I'm here with... Zena, are you guys ready to swallow the red pill? We are ready, warrior princess. That is me. We're going to dig a little deeper into the dispensation of grace. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we got started last week. This will be, I guess, our um, 79th episode. Holy moly. So far, and season three, but 79th episode, so... Yeah, we're going to continue looking into this thing, and um, we kind of gave a little introductory summary last yes. week. You want to get too deep? Uh, we're going to dig a little bit deeper this week. We last talked about um, Jesus commanding the 12 apostles to not go to who? Not go to the Gentiles and the Samaritans. Samaritans, right. Mm-hmm. And so they were... Uh, he was clearly telling them, I have a message that's meant for Israel. Yes. And only Israel only. And, and he even said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to gather lost sheep and in the hopes that if he can convince the nation to turn back to him, then they would ultimately rise up to be a kingdom that they were meant to be. A priesthood of God. Yes. And they were going to go reach the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. But they never did. That was the whole plan from the beginning was that Israel was supposed to be the people of God, that they would be God's representative to go reach the heathen and turn them back to God. Yes. So they failed to do that for 1,500 years. So this was like the final offer to get them to come back to God, to mm-hmm. straighten up, to do their job. And when they rejected the one king that sent to deliver the kingdom or offer the kingdom, well, then they rejected the kingdom. So at that point, the kingdom was put on hold for Israel, and uh, Christ was crucified, buried, and raised again, but it was a secret that he would die for sins of everybody. Yes. Okay. So then once that happened, um, this man called Saul was saved, and God changes him to Paul Mm -hmm. and sends him forward to the Gentiles. So we're going to delve a little bit into the dispensation of grace tonight with picking up where Paul kind of starts. He gets his message, and we're going to kind of learn how he sort of, how the door was open to him. Because something took place before Jesus died, and we're going to read that passage in a little bit. But it was that um, he asked them who men said he was, and some thought he was a prophet and this and that and the other, and, some, and Peter finally said, you're the Christ. And he said, you're right. And I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So 
keys were given to Peter, the apostle, mm-hmm. and what he locked, unlocked would be unlocked for good. And therefore, um, we're going to find out that before Paul was sent to go to Gentiles, Peter was sent to a Gentile against what Christ had told him earlier. Go not to Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And when he did that, it was like Peter was unlocking the door so Paul could go through it from that point. Really? Yeah, he actually unlocked the door. So we'll come back to that, but we're going to go to Acts chapter 13 because we start with Paul uh, referring to his command to go to Gentiles all the way back in the book of Isaiah. And so Paul has already begun his, he's several years into the ministry now. So it's not like he just started today. Yeah. But when he comes to the city where he is here, which happens to be in the nation that we would call Turkey today, and it was in a city called Pisidia, or Antioch, uh, of a region called Pisidia, uh, he's preaching in a synagogue there. And he uh, preached the word to the Jews, because he always did that first. That's who you found in a synagogue. Mm -hmm. He went to them, and he would usually reason about three weeks each Sunday or each Sabbath, whatever day that was, with the Jews in the synagogue. And if they believed, they would join him, and they basically started a church. Okay. Like a Bible study, you know. And so he preached to them one of those Sabbaths, and the Gentiles, which weren't allowed in, came up to him and said, well, you preach this to us next time. And so Paul agreed to do so. So in verse 44 of Acts 13, it says, the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Now, this city was a big city, you know. So the Jews had had synagogues in these cities for years, centuries Mm -hmm. in some cases. They never drew a crowd. Yeah. You know, never drew a crowd. And why would they? Because when you think about it, if you get right down to the nitty-gritty, one of the things required for salvation through their program was circumcision. Oh. Well, Gentile men weren't lining up. You know, yeah. <laughs> to get circumcised. So they never drew a crowd like that. So almost the whole city comes to hear Paul. Obviously, he has something new to share. Mm-hmm. And when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And they spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. So they were trying to prevent the Gentiles from hearing the message. Oh, that's rude. Then Paul and Barnabas, another man with him, waxed bold. They grew, they grew courageous. And said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, you Jews here at Antioch. But seeing you put it from you, you don't want this truth, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, in a way, it was sort of a slap in the face to these ancient Jews, because you say, look, God has told us to go to Gentiles. If you won't take it, we'll go to Gentiles. And to them, that was blasphemy. Yeah. And they said, For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I've set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldst be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. So now the Gentiles and the Samaritans and the Jews are all included. Anybody that wants to believe. Mm-hmm. So it was great news for Gentiles. It angered the Jews. And from that point forward, they wanted to kill him. But when he said those words, I've set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldst be for salvation unto ends of the earth. And he said, the Lord commanded us. That's not words that Jesus told Paul when he met him on the road to Damascus. Mm -hmm. He's citing the book of Isaiah. And when you know the importance the prophet Isaiah is to a Jew, to Israel, you, you would have to understand the profound insult that was 
for them to hear Paul, another Jew, telling these Jews, God commanded us to go to Gentiles in a book of the Jews. You know, Isaiah chapter 49, which is literally exactly what it was. Yeah. So he's essentially saying that you wouldn't believe me if I told you that I met Jesus of Nazareth on the road to Damascus who told me to go to Gentiles. Mm -hmm. But you'd believe me if I told you God's prophet Isaiah wrote about me hundreds of years before I was born telling me I was to go to Gentiles. And that's exactly what he did. Wow. Because it's true. Yeah. Those prophecies in Isaiah are about Paul's ministry. So essentially what happened was if you if you broke it down into like a very rudimentary timeline, and I'll try my best to put this timeline up in the in the show notes. I, I haven't found a way to do that yet, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> but I'm gonna share it with you, Zena, because you can see it. Okay. So this is a timeline that starts with Adam the beginning of humanity for the world. Mm -hmm. And then it goes to Noah and then Abraham and Moses. The law was given through Moses and Israel had it for 1500 years. And then Jesus was born and then he dies on a cross. And in that ministry where he said, go not to the Gentiles, though there was a three and a half year ministry of him preaching and offering the kingdom to Israel. So they rejected it. So the kingdom was offered and rejected and he ascended up. He was crucified, buried, and he rose again. Okay. Then he went back to the Father. And the next several books uh, or chapters of the book of Acts is right after he rose up and the events that happen until Saul gets called okay. and becomes Paul. And that essentially begins what we call the dispensation of grace. Paul's salvation and certain other things combining with that started the clock, if you will, of the dispensation of grace. And someday the clock's going to end and that little purple arrow is the rapture. Okay. Because we, when we leave, the dispensation of grace ends, and it goes to a new dispensation, and God's dispensing wrath, not grace. Don't want to be here for Don't that. Don't want to be here for that. So that would be then begin the seven years of tribulation, and then Jesus comes back, and then he reigns on the earth for a thousand years. So that's like a little timeline of all of history till the new heaven and the new earth. Okay. It's just in a short little easy to follow thing there. Love it. Right. And it's what's interesting about it is in the bold print, starting back here with Adam, I've got Genesis through Malachi, the books of the Old Testament. Okay. In order in your Bible. Mm -hmm. Then when Jesus arrives, it's Matthew through the books of John, his earthly ministry to Israel. Then the book of Acts follows John, transitioning from the offer of the kingdom to the dispensation of grace. And then Paul's letters are Romans through Philemon, which are written to and about the dispensation of grace. And then when the rapture happens and we leave, the final books of the Bible are Hebrews through Revelation, which are all about the future times. And what's fascinating is that's the exact order these books are in your Bible. They match the timeline. Wow. They're not in chronological order. Okay. They're not, that's not how they were written. You know, uh, there are certain prophets that were written before Genesis, and the book of Acts could have been written before the book of John, or the book of Hebrews could have been written way before the book of Philemon or something like that. Mm -hmm. They're not in chronological order, but they're placed in the Bible in the order of this timeline. That's fascinating to me. Who came up with that? Yeah. I do have a question. <clears throat> um What's in Philemon? I feel like we uh, have not read from that book before. Philemon is an interesting book because it's about a runaway slave. Really? Yeah. It's about a man 
And his name is, I, I, I may get this wrong, I have to go review it, but I think his name is Onesimus. What a name. And you know, the Roman Empire had slaves. Yes. So he was a servant or slave to a man named Philemon. And he ran away. And he ended up in Rome in prison with Paul. So the slave ran away and he got caught. Oh. And then he goes to prison and he meets Paul. And uh, he gets saved. Mm-hmm. And so Paul wrote the letter to his previous owner, Philemon, that Onesimus was to take back to him to say, and the letter said, instead of having him put to death or punishing him, accept him now as a brother because he's now your brother in Christ and do it on my behalf. Aw. It's, it's very much a picture of the body of Christ. And it's, it's a beautiful letter. It's only two or three chapters. But okay. it's a beautiful story, so uh, yeah, that's. I'm glad you asked that. That's a really, <laughs> it's a really poignant thing. So, uh, cool, cool. All right, now, um, I mentioned to you there was a time when uh, Jesus asked the twelve, "Who do you, who do men say I am?" And they began to answer and say, "Well, you're a prophet. You're this. You're that." And he gave Peter the keys, right? Yes. So let's go read that because I mentioned it, and I want to let the the listeners actually know the scripture references Matthew 16 and verse 16. So he says, whom do men saying that I am? And verse 16 is the big answer. Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, he's the, the one that answered correctly. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. That means um, Bar is uh, son of. So he's Simon, son of Jonah. Okay. Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. Meaning, this was God's way of saying, Jesus, he's the guy. I'm appointing him to be the one for you to appoint to give the keys. Okay. Because nobody knew this truth. So it was revealed by the Spirit to to Peter, Simon. And so he says, unto thee, nobody revealed it to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter. He changed his name from Simon to Peter. Peter means a little stone. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, in Greek, it's a little rock. All right. And it's a play on the word Petra, which is Greek for uh, a boulder. Okay. So it's like he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church. So in Greek, it would be Thou art Petros, little Peter, little rock. And upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Well, the rock of the church is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. He's the rock. He's the foundation. So he says, I'm, I'm calling you a chip off the old block. <laughs> <laughs> Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and on and on. So Peter had the keys. But more importantly, the church started right here. There's a lot of disagreement about when the church began amongst Mm -hmm. Christians. Well, if Jesus is the rock of the church, then he's the foundation. It starts with him. Yeah. And, uh, And you could say, well, it started when he rose from the dead if you want to, and that's fine with me. You know, but he says, I will build. So you could say it was future tense, but either way, the rock is the foundation of the church. So it begins with Jesus. Mm -hmm. So the church didn't begin with Paul. A dispensation of grace began with Paul and he preached Christ, the foundation of the church. So I I say that to make sure people understand that I'm not trying to tell anyone that Paul is the beginning of the church because there are those that teach there's two churches and one started with Paul and one started with Jesus. That is baloney. There's one church, and it, Christ is the foundation of that church. Okay. Paul built upon that foundation, 
but uh, he, he isn't the foundation. Now, he's also the end of it. Christ is the, he's going to return. So he's the beginning and the end of the church. He's the beginning and end of everything. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we go to verse 20, we read this. Paul is talking about, yeah, this is that same chapter where we read he talked about the gospel was Christ died for sins according to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. So this is further down in the same chapter. So he's, he gave, the whole chapter is about resurrection. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is all about resurrection. The resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of us later, and all that stuff. And the rapture is in it too. Okay. Which is a type of resurrection. So he says, but now, verse 20, now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. First fruits is an interesting term. Is that something you've ever heard of or used in your upbringing? No. Okay. First fruits would be like saying the first of the harvest. So if you planted a crop and you were growing wheat, you know, and then the first uh, ripening wheat you glean, you, you harvest from the field, and you'd think, oh, I'm going to go make some bread, right? Yeah. <laughs> but under Jewish law, when the Jews reaped the first fruits, they would take that first thing and make it an offering to the Lord. Okay. And so they wouldn't use it for themselves. They would bring it to the Lord, give him their first fruits, and a portion was burned in a sacrifice, and the rest was given to the priests, and that was their livelihood. Because they didn't own land and they didn't farm it. They were priests all the time. Okay, so like, so if the harvest was wheat, they would just bring the wheat? Or would they bring it in like the bread form? They would bring it in the wheat form usually. Or, and okay. it depended. Sometimes the law might have said make cakes. Okay. There were certain different things to do for different reasons. But I think basically it was, it, was a, it was a sheave offering or something like that. And they could bring, just imagine like bringing a bushel of wheat. Okay. And then the priest would take like a, a handful of it or a scoop of it or somehow and sprinkle it on, a, an, on an altar and burn that as a sweet savor to the Lord. Because why would you burn it all? God doesn't eat that. He doesn't yeah. need it. You know, it's a symbolic thing. And the rest was given to the families of the Levites who were the priests and they would make bread. Okay. Okay. So that's a good question though, because there were times when they did actually make bread and show bread and things like that. And that was part of the service. But anyway, so that's a first fruit. So it's a picture of Christ being the first one to be born again from the dead. Mm -hmm. All right. It was a picture of that. So he says, Christ, the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, Adam, by man came also the resurrection of the dead, Jesus. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. So there's going to be, he's the first of the resurrection, and then the rest of us will eventually be resurrected too, okay? Now, he's the firstborn from the dead, Jesus says. There are some that read this passage we're about to read, and they say Jesus was the uh, firstborn, therefore he was a created being. But that's not, what, that's not what it says at all. So we'll read it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Jesus Christ is one with God the Father. He's the Son. He's eternal with the Father, and he created the heaven and the earth. Mm -hmm. But when he was incarnated as a man, born of a virgin Mary, and he grew up as a baby, and he wore diapers, and he you know, had to be fed with a bottle and a nursing and all that stuff. I mean, he grew. He went through the human experience. But then he was killed. He had to be born a human in order to die because God can't die. Yeah. But in a physical body of human flesh, he could die and experience 
and be tempted with sin, even though he never did. So he experienced the human condition for us so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for us. Didn't God give, uh, what is it? Why would I go blank right now? He gave, I'm going to just say, the title of the earth to us humans. That's right. That's why. And Jesus took the title with him, essentially? That Well, in order to claim the title to be the king of the earth, he mm-hmm. would have had to experience the human condition. Okay. Which Satan's going to try to duplicate later in the Antichrist. Yes. Right. So you're right. You're, you're thinking on your feet there because we talked about the earth has he given to the children of men mm-hmm. in the book of Psalms. And the devil wants it, but he's not a man. Nope. So he's a serpent, right? So he's trying to get it back. So when, when he gave it to the children of men, Jesus Christ being born as a man can lay legitimate legal claim to the title king of all the earth. And so he will, but he's going to be the firstborn from the dead. So he's the first one that ever was born again from the dead. Okay. As a man who died and physically rose again. He's still God, but he was God in man. Now, that means that he's the beginning of the church. Firstborn from the dead, the head, the rock, the foundation, everything else. It started with him. It didn't start later. It started with him. Therefore, even if he was the only one in the church, the church began with Jesus. The 12 were added and the others were added later. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that means that by the time we get to Acts chapter 2, where Peter is preaching a message and he says in verse 41, he preaches a message to Israel. This is after Jesus rose from the dead. And it says, they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them, about 3,000 souls. So that's a pretty effective message. You know, Peter, just an old fisherman, yeah, right? Preaches his first big message, and he 3,000 people believed. And they continued steadfastly, these 3,000, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and all things common. I don't know if you knew this about the early church. When they believed and were baptized, they sold all their possessions. And they donated the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What? Churches who claim to be following this doctrine are not doing this. They They sold sold all of their stuff? Sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Now I'm going to get to this last sentence in a moment, but since I kind of shocked you with that statement. Yeah. So where did they, did they sell their, okay, so they sold everything. Where did they live? Well, let me ask you this. Why do you think they would have been commanded to do that? If you're really thinking on your feet, because you're kind of on right now tonight, (laughs) why do you think God would command them to do that? I'm going to say to like leave it all in his hands and that he'll... He'll figure, oh, I don't, I don't know. That's mind-blowing. I mean, w- wouldn't it make more sense if you were going to take use that money to help the poor, that you'd keep making more money? Yeah. To, ma- to help the poor? So there has to be a reason then, right? What was the one thing you had to have at some point in order to buy and sell and use your gold and your silver? Your hand. Your- the mark of the beast. Oh, oh, what? The mark of the beast. Remember the Antichrist is coming, and in order to buy and sell, you've got to take his mark. 
I totally forgot. No. Right. I totally kind of jumped the track. I was like, the mark of the beast, yeah. your hand, your heart, your soul. They were expecting to go through the tribulation right away. Oh, okay, okay. That explains why they, they sold everything. They sold everything because they were fully expecting to be running for their lives from the Antichrist. So, Hi, we hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I want to take a moment to remind you of something very important. There are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And the world is fast approaching the end game, and we want to expose the coming deception before time runs out. Freedom of speech is under attack, and evil elements within governments and multinational corporations are trying to prevent you from learning the truth. Scott and I are being censored by social media platforms as we speak. This is true, so you can help us use the satanic global elite's own tools against them. Subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast so the controlled media can't shut us down. We can use our own platforms to help expose them and keep you informed. But to do that, we need your support. Help us to go full-time with Bible Mysteries. Just $7 a month gives you every current episode ad-free without these annoying appeals. You also get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to the community forum where we answer your questions. Just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to help us stop the assault on Christianity and free speech. And don't forget, you can always donate any amount to support us at utbnow.com. These gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again, and here's the show. They wouldn't need it. They were expecting God to feed them in the yeah. wilderness, and, they, and because they weren't about to take that mark, or they would be damned. Wowzers. Yeah. Okay, that explains so. I'm just like, why? So now think about it. Churches today preach, repent and be baptized all the time. Yeah. They'll tell everybody that walks the aisle, repent and be baptized all the time. And they'll take it from here. But they never tell them to sell all their possessions. You know why? Because they want them to go work jobs and tithe. Yeah. Okay. But they're taking doctrine that was meant for a specific group of people who were fully anticipating to go into the tribulation. Mm -hmm. And they assigned it to themselves today and ignored the dispensation of grace. This is a perfect example of how the church got confused because they stopped preaching Paul's doctrine. They stopped considering what he said, and they looked at that and they went, I like that, I'm going to use that. You need to repent and be baptized. And then they read here and they stop at sell all your possessions. Yeah. And they don't tell you to do that because they're cafeteria picking what they want. Mm -hmm. This is why rightly dividing is so important. Okay. Yeah, because otherwise there would be total confusion. Yeah, I was confused there. Like, why are they selling all their stuff? Exactly. That was a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. I I got us a little bit off course. I'm going to get us back on course (laughs) because it was my fault. I took the bait. But uh, the last verse of this chapter was they they broke bread. They ate from house to house because they didn't have any money. Uh, They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So that means everybody that believed was added to the church. So a church is right here. Okay. There's a church that already exists that is being added to. It began with Jesus. It was uh, perpetuated through the 12 and then these 3,000 and then others later. All right. So there's already a church formed. And it may only be made up of Jews yet, 
but it's going to be having Gentiles and Samaritans added to it shortly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a church here. So I'm just trying to establish that there. By the time you get to the Book of Acts, there's a church, and Jesus is the beginning of it. And he was the one that started it, I guess, as the firstborn from the dead, even though as far as I'm concerned, he's the eternal head of the church, regardless of when you want to start it. But if we go back to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, back to Paul now, so we can kind of put it in perspective. He said this, and hath put all things under his feet, Jesus, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So the church is Christ's body, symbolically. We're not his arm and leg and toe. I mean, we're, we're his body as a church. Mm-hmm. So he's the head of the church. We're the rest of the body. So therefore, this church now is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. It started with just Jews because he only went to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yes. The nation rejected him, but there were Jews that believed. And they were the ones that were there mourning when he was crucified and rejoicing when he rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. And so then they went and preached the message to other Jews, and 3,000 just believed, and we saw they were added to the church. And that early church sold everything they had. Paul never told anybody to do that. So by the time he comes along, that requirement had changed. <laughs> Selling all your belongings was no longer required. Well, why would that be? Because Paul's the one that told us about the rapture. Okay. Which delivers us from the wrath to come because we're not going to go through the time of tribulation and have to take the mark of the beast. Very true. And not have to sell sell all of our belongings. And sell our belongings. So what clearly happened was a church began, but some part of it got interrupted with a new program. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, go to chapter 2. And remember we told you that these Gentile, these Ephesians that Paul writes to are Gentiles. Yes. Gentiles. So he says in verse 19, okay, in the past you were bad guys. We know you worshiped idols. But now, therefore, he says, you're no more strangers and foreigners to God, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So he's saying, now you're part, you're joint with us. You're fellows with us. What is a citizen anyway, if you had to define that word? Me. You're in the, she's a citizen. (laughs) That's as good an answer as I've ever heard. (laughs) Uh, It usually means you have some sort of affiliation with what? A nation? Yes. A state, a city, Mm -hmm. a citizen, you know, a city citizen. So fellow citizens with the saints. Well, I think about there's a new Jerusalem coming, Mm -hmm. a city whose builder and maker is God. So we're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Or he's saying rather you are to these Gentiles. I've been here. Now you're part of it too. It was unheard of until Paul that people like us, Gentiles, could be a part of this city, to be, to be a citizen of this kingdom, yeah. if you will. So he says, we're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Well, we, that would have to include the 12 because mm-hmm. they were there. And then even the prophets before them. So like going back to Isaiah, because he's the one that said about Jesus dying. You know, they wrote about it uh, in Isaiah uh, 53. Um, And Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, he's the head of the building, the body, in whom all the building fitly framed together goeth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. A habitation, that means a place to live, a place to dwell. 
You know, we would use the word my house, my home. It's my habitation. Nobody says that anymore. Yeah. But you've heard of like Habitat for Humanity. Yes. What do they do? They build homes. They build houses, right? And they become homes. Love you know? that story. Yeah, I do too. So, uh, yeah. So the uh, the bottom line is the church is the house of God. Okay. Right? He doesn't physically live in it, but someday the city's going to come down and he's going to dwell in it with us. So the house of God. Now, uh, so to put it in perspective, another chart that I'm going to have to try to put up in the case notes or the show notes rather is this. Imagine a house. Okay. Okay. So here's just a picture. I'm showing her nothing but just a diagram of a house and it's called the house of God. Okay. It's the church. All right. The church isn't really a house, but (laughs) it's just a diagram. So in the blue on the left is something that says new covenant church and it starts with Peter. So in effect, we're talking about the first people that believed they were the apostles Peter was the key, had the keys of the kingdom. Yes. They preached Christ according to the prophecies of the kingdom and the things that he said go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, they preached a gospel that was to the circumcision, which is short for the Jews. Okay. okay? Uh, it was to Jews only. Uh, works were involved in their message. You know, they had to endure to the end, not take the mark of the beast. They had to sell their belongings, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and they had to endure to the end. So their redemption would come when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. They don't get the blotting out of sins yet until the Lord returns because they're part of a national salvation program. Okay. And then their resurrection is at the last day. They don't get raised up until Jesus comes back. Okay. Okay. Now, on the right of that is a red section of the house. Like there's a blue room and a red room. Same house, two different rooms. Okay. Okay. And in the red room called the one new man, it's, it's not based on an old covenant or a new covenant rather. It's based on something that was called a mystery. Paul is sort of the head of this group okay. in, in charge of the room. He preached Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Okay. The 12 didn't even know about this until Paul told them. Okay. Because they were focused on Israel. And his gospel is called the gospel of the uncircumcision. Always makes me think of seven up as the uncola. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that commercial? I do. It's the Uncola. So um, in other words, he was sent to Jews and Gentiles. It wasn't exclusive. It okay. was very inclusive. And then there were no works involved. You didn't do anything to get saved. You just believed. Okay. You didn't have to sell your belongings. I know. You don't have to go get baptized or, or confess your sins or mm-hmm. walk an aisle or do anything like that. And we're sealed. We don't have to endure to the end. You're sealed because we're going to leave this world. Mm-hmm. With the rapture, and that's when our res- resurrection is. It's at the uh, it's at the rapture of the body, and um, redemption is applied right now. Your sins are forgiven right now. You're not waiting for a future day of atonement. Okay, so with that thought in mind, we've got one big house with two flocks in it, two rooms in it, same church, but in effect, the church that was started that was Jewish had. Gentiles introduced into it, added to it, right? Yeah. And so now we're one big happy family, which is why Paul had to write so many times that we should get along. Yes. Because when you had Jewish people that for 1,500 years had to keep the commandments, now eating and fellowshipping with Gentiles who never once kept a commandment Mm -hmm. and eat pork and worshiped idols and eat crawdads and frogs' legs and whatever. so good. (laughs) Can you imagine how would they get along? 
they wouldn't. They wouldn't at first until they realized that it would take love mm-hmm. to be to be understanding and compassion and forgiving. So, so that's why Paul wrote in First Timothy chapter one, verse sixteen. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy. Saying, here's the re- I was a bad guy. Paul said I was the worst. He called himself the chief of sinners. You know, so he says, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I did injury to the church of God. Mm-hmm. But God saved me for this reason. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering patience for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now, Paul wasn't the first person to be saved. The twelve were before him. Yeah, three thousand were before them, and on and yeah, before that. So, um, so when Paul is sort of the new kid on the block, right? He's the new kid in town, as the Eagles said. (laughs) (laughs) But he says, "I'm the first of something." Well, he's not the first to be saved. He's I'm the first for a pattern, meaning with his salvation, something new began. Mm -hmm. Same church, different method. Don't repent and be baptized and sell all your belongings. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that's what happened with him. He got yeah. saved to be a pattern to everybody that should follow after. And so we do. From here on out, we get saved through the same method that Paul did until the Lord is done. And then the dispensation of grace will end. The rapture will take place and we go out. And you know what it goes back to after we're gone? You know what the message is going to be when we leave this world? I have no idea. It will no longer be this gospel that Paul preached. Okay. Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. It's going to go back to the message Jesus preached to Israel. Really? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because guess what's going to be true at that time? The kingdom of heaven is literally going to be at hand. Yeah. Three and a half years away. Yeah. So uh, what's going to happen is... Uh, And it's interesting. Jesus had a ministry for three and a half years before they crucified him. Mm -hmm. When the rapture happens and we go out, the dispensation of grace ends. Okay. The message of grace goes with it, the gospel. 144,000 Jewish men are going to suddenly be ordained to preach the same message that the 12 preached to Israel. Mm -hmm. 12 apostles. 12 tribes times 12,000 each is 144,000, right? And that's what's going to happen. They're going to be like the 12, in a sense, preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand for three and a half years, just like Jesus did. Yeah. And then the Antichrist appears and all hell breaks loose. And by the way, no men will be preaching any more gospel when he declares himself to be God. The only preaching being done in the entire world is by an angel who flies through the heavens and he cries out, don't take the mark. Is it Michael? No, it's another angel. Okay. But he cries out, don't take the mark or you will be thrown in the lake of fire. And that's why they had to sell all their belongings because they don't want to be tempted. And in that last three and a half years, they're going to be running for their lives from the Antichrist. How tempting would it be to just take the mark so you can eat? Yeah. You know, but they're being told, no, don't take the mark. And, and that's why they're going to rely on the Lord to feed them 
in the wilderness instead of having money to buy and sell. So that's why they had to sell all their money. Okay. So in other words, it's going to be the same message that Jesus preached in Matthew chapter 10 when he said, don't go to the Gentiles or to the Samaritans, go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And they're going to be preaching to Israel. Now, Gentiles can get saved indirectly, and we'll see some instances in even Jesus' ministry where a woman was a Gentile, came up to him. She asked him to heal her daughter. He says, I can't help you. You're not Jewish. And she begged him, and he did help her. And he said something about even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So there was an indication that there's going to be some Gentiles getting saved during the kingdom message and the tribulation. Mm -hmm. Okay. But uh, we'll wrap this up for today with this thought. In that same chapter, Matthew 10, where he said, don't go to the Gentiles, he also said this. Chapter 10, verse 23, he says, um, when they persecute you in this city, this is he's given them marching orders to go out. So go from city to city, and you're going to preach the gospel of the kingdom to Jews only. When they persecute you in this city, flee into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. And be come is like saying, I return. Okay. He's the Son of Man. So I could say, you will not have preached the message of your gospel of the kingdom in all the cities of Israel before I return. Now, Jesus has been gone for 2,000 years. Yeah. Israel is not a big country. Mm -mm. I mean, it's like Rhode Island. Whoa, <laughs> well, that's it's not big at all. Maybe a little bigger than that. <laughs> but you get the idea. Yeah. But even on foot, 12 men could have preached in every city in Israel in about 10 years. Just taking their time and, you know, yeah. eating bonbons along the way. <laughs> in 10 years, they could have covered every city in Israel. Mm -hmm. It's been 2,000 years. Christ hasn't come back yet. But he told them, you will not have covered all the cities of Israel till I come back. So what does that tell you? There's more cities. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I coughed over your response. Would you repeat <laughs> that again? Um, there's more cities. There's more cities. That's one way we could look at it. Or was that program interrupted by the dispensation of grace and that's why it's been 2,000 years. I'm going to go with your answer. <laughs> <laughs> but I like your answer. Because the truth is, there are going to be more cities in Israel than are currently there now. Mm -hmm. Because the actual land that God promised them is not that little strip of Rhode Island. No. It goes from the Euphrates to the Nile. Mm -hmm. But even, even if that were the case, it still wouldn't take 2,000 years. So it was a really good answer. But in, in fact, what, it meant, what I was asked, looking for is that the program got interrupted of the kingdom because the message of grace came in. Through Paul, he was the first in a pattern. It's been that way for 2,000 years because it's not limited by any time constraints like the Daniel prophecy of 70 weeks is. Yeah. There's only seven years left to that prophecy, and it's been on pause for 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. When we leave, the clock starts ticking again, and seven years later, Jesus comes back. So that's the whole meaning of you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Because when he comes back, they're done. And so is everything else. So we'll stop there and get into more of the dispensation of grace next week where we can sort of look into the mindset of the 12. Because based on what we just read, um, Jesus, they asked him a question when he rose from the dead about the time. And all for three and a half years, they were preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
implying it's soon. It's going to come soon. Yes. And so after he rose from the dead, because they were shocked when he was crucified, they didn't think that would happen. Mm -hmm. So when he rose from the dead, they said, are you going to restore the kingdom now? We've been preaching for three and a half years. Yeah. Is at hand now? (laughs) And his answer to them was, it's not for you to know. Oh, that's great. I know. A a total reversal of what they've been doing. Yeah. So why would he say that? Because he's getting ready to start something new with Paul. Okay. That's why. So we're going to dig into that next week. So Zena, great, great follow-up. Great questions. Thank you. <laughs> I, I try. <laughs> well, you're, and what I love about your perspective is it comes out of a completely different than mine. So I'm always thinking, because I know something, you know, that I'm always going to, uh, when I, I ask a question, I'm going to get a typical answer. And you're like, let me throw him a curveball. Right, I'm like, I, I don't know that one. <laughs> but that's good because that's exactly how some of our listeners might be thinking. Yeah. As I ask the question, they might be responding the same way you are. And I want that feedback. I want that interaction. So that's why I really appreciate you. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, all right. We appreciate you listening tonight and hope you'll tune in next week as well. Yes, guys. Thank you always for coming and hanging out with us. Please like, share, and subscribe. Comment down below something new that you've learned from this beautiful podcast that we have here. (laughs) Or also comment down something below um, that you would like us to talk about. Yes. And if you heard a lot of clicking in the background tonight, it's not rain. It's my silly old dog who walks up and down pacing the hallway because he loves Zena and he can't wait for us to finish so he can play with her and she can lavish him with attention. So I just want you to know if you're hearing that, it's my spoiled little dog. Oh, sweet Charlie. <laughs> anyway, once again, Zena, as always, thank you for being a part of this and thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. You guys have a good one. Take care. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, Please subscribe to Bible Mysteries and share it with a friend. If you want to learn more, you can go to Unlock the Bible Now. That's utbnow.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can even gift a subscription to a friend. That's right. Remember, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to join and help us expose the satanic global elite, or make a tax-deductible donation at utbnow.com. We need your help to fight the global censorship of the truth. Thanks for your support.